0: The words must have been shocking to the disciples. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus said. They must have been stunned that moment because these scribes and these Pharisees, these were the holiest of holy men in all of the nation of Israel. No one can be more righteous than those guys, they must have thought. Jesus' disciples that he's speaking to, they've been trained in by the law of Judaism. They knew it well. And they must have thought when Jesus made this statement, oh boy, we're going to get a whole list of additional laws that we're going to have to add. We're going to have to update our scrolls and make them a little bit longer because here we go with another list. That's not what Jesus did. It's not what Jesus did. Jesus did not add to the law. He didn't do away with any of the law. Rather, Jesus intensified their interpretation of the law. And Jesus drove his disciples to appreciate the heart that God required in the worship and the obedience that he called his people to have. So he intensifies their their understanding of God's commands. He intensified them by taking these disciples to their ultimate purpose, and that is to have right pure hearts before the living God. We need this teaching, you and I, desperately. In this topic that we're going to be in this morning, there's not a man or woman that does not need to hear this sermon. Whether you're in our presence right now or you're listening online, this sermon is a must-hear. The content of this sermon is a must-hear for all of us. And I like to think that that's true every Sunday. Every Sunday. But boy, I know for sure, I know for sure that that is true this morning. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, picking up in Jesus' teaching of his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at the topic of lust and adultery. Before we do that, let me pray. Father, we, we need these words this morning. Father, we need ears to hear we need eyes to see we need hearts that will embrace this truth that you have given us through your son jesus christ this very morning father my flesh is weak and i pray that your spirit is strong in me as i proclaim this word to all of us i'm not preaching at these people father i am i am feeding us christ's word for all of us and i pray that we would all receive and we would all partake fully for your glory and for our benefit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Mm. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you would lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It's a strong, strong message. A cutting message, literally. A stunning and shocking message to these disciples. For they have been brought up in Judaism that says, if you don't commit the physical act of adultery, if you don't commit the physical act of murder, you're good to go. And I'm glad I don't have that problem like all those other people do. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You have a problem in that you are a murderer in your heart and you are an adulterer in your heart. So this morning I want us to look at this very heavy passage and I want us to look at really three things. Number one, we have to understand what adultery is. We, we did this three weeks ago when we had to understand what murder is. We need, to don't, we need to understand this to its fullest. If I just stand up here and say to you, don't murder and don't commit adultery, we'll see you later and leave, I've done us no good. We have to break down what it is to be a murderer and what it is to be an adulterer. We have to do some heavy lifting And I'm going to do that for us, and I pray that you'll come along with me as we do it. So first, we're going to see what the Bible says adultery is. Second, we need to understand what lust really is. I don't need to just say, don't lust. I need to show you what the Bible says lust actually is. And then the call is to show you that Jesus says we are to be tenacious warriors in this life. And that we're to tear things out and cut things off in an act of worship of God and in fear of our bodies being thrown into hell for all of eternity because the fruit that we're bearing does not reveal that we are authentically saved. So we're going to look at those three things. The main point of this passage is the plucking out and the cutting off. We're going to spend some time there, but I first want to take us and show us what the Bible says about adultery. We last looked at anger in the heart and saw that Jesus declares it to be murder and we use Genesis chapter 2:27 where we saw that murder was killing and snuffing out the image of God that was inside of a person. That's why murder's wrong. He made man in his own image and in his own likeness and when we murder someone, we are striking the image of God. That is serious business. That's why murder's wrong. Well, we need to do the same thing this morning with adultery. We need to understand biblically what it is. And, yes, we're going to go back to Genesis. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 2 in verse 24. Let me just read this for you. I think you can have this. It's a short verse. God says, upon making man and them coming together, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We have a lot of information right there in that little short verse. And we can conclude from this verse why adultery is wrong. I want to give you three God-given designs for husbands and wives as we look at this. And first of all, let me say this. The term adultery entails relationships between married people. Jesus' teaching here is very specific about adultery, the sexual unfaithfulness of a husband or a wife. This is not the general term that is used for fornication or, or, or sexual promiscuity. That, that word is pornea, okay, where we get pornographic, pornography from. But that is going to apply in a moment. But right now, Jesus is specifically, ta- specifically talking within the confines of marriage. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not be unfaithful to a spouse. Okay, so hold that thought. We see in this verse in Genesis two twenty three God-given designs for a husband and wife. Number one, he says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. So there is an exclusivity about the relationship between a man and a wife. It is so exclusive that a man and a wife should leave the father and mother that brought them into this world. That relationship is now going to become secondary. And the primary relationship is that man holding fast to that wife and that wife holding fast to that man. So this is a very exclusive, loyal relationship, the marriage is. Number two, it is a permanent loyalty because it says after he leaves his father and mother, he will hold fast to his wife. That connotes that he will hold on to her and he will not let go of her ever, ever. So this is a permanent loyalty after it's an exclusive loyalty. And then number three, Number three says this, they shall become one flesh. So there is a physical loyalty. So God calls a marriage to be one of exclusivity, of permanence, and of physical loyalty without being broken. That's why the call to adultery is so strong throughout the Bible. In adultery, the sexual unfaithfulness in marriage contradicts all of this. All of this. The secular world claims that sexuality is a mere biological function like eating or drinking. And I'm here to tell you it is not. It is not. It is a deeply spiritual thing. The Bible says that adultery is a thieving lie. It's a thieving lie. Because what it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be exclusive. It's supposed to be permanent. It's supposed to have loyalty raced all through it. That sexuality is. But when it's committed, when adultery is committed, it is done without exclusive, permanent, life-uniting intents. It's for a casual, momentary bliss. And it defies what God created it to be for. Serious. We must embrace Paul's. Words on this issue. Paul uses the very verse from Genesis chapter 2 that I cited to you. He says, therefore, in Ephesians 5, 31, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then listen to what he says right after that. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so a man is to be exclusive with his wife, a woman exclusive with her husband. A man is to be permanently holding fast to her. And a man is to be one flesh with her and she is to be one flesh with him. It's a loyalty that is never to be broken. And it's a mystery because when a man and a woman do that in marriage, they are proclaiming the gospel to one another and to the world that's looking in, especially those children. So loyalty and exclusivity and permanency and physical aspects, even that, are to be picturing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why adultery is wrong, because it is an anti-gospel act. Our Savior Jesus Christ would never be unfaithful to his bride, the church. He would never even peek at another woman. So the relationship between Christ and his church is one of unbreakable loyalty, and that is what it is to be between a man and a wife. And we will hear more on that next week as we look at the next passage In the Sermon on the Mount. So now let's go to lust. That's what adultery is. Let's now take up this topic of lust. What does the Bible say lust is? Lust is the act of looking at another person with the intent of stirring up adulterous thoughts. That's what lust is. And what we're going to see here is Jesus is actually merging two commandments. We have the commandment number seven do not commit adultery, but then we also have the 10th commandment, I think, and it says you shall not covet right and lust to a woman when it happens in the heart of a man is defying the adultery commandment and it's defying the coveting commandment because lust is coveting as we see in that 10th commandment and what's wrong with coveting why is that so wrong well coveting is wrong is because it is saying i am not satisfied with what god has given me it's not good enough I don't like what God has not given me. I don't like what God has forbid me from going to. I don't like what God has taken away from me. And so I'm going to covet it and I'm going to embrace it. And I'm at least going to enjoy it in my heart. It's a stiff-necked obstinance to not being satisfied with what God's given. That's what's wrong with lust. And when it's done, you know, we lust after food and all kinds of things. But when it's done towards another human being in a sexual way, it is adulterous Coveting. It's a filthy, dirty lie, and it contradicts the gospel all the way to the nth degree. So this is this is a turning of our imagination and our heart towards taking what does not belong to us, what God has not given to us. That's what lust is. And this is not isolated. To married people, we now introduce all of us into this topic because in a minute Jesus is going to say, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So adultery is within the confines of marriage, but this this rampant, lustful attitude and heart that we have, this applies to all of us and we are all called to be pure sexually, to obey Jesus' commands. So let's now look at some really hard topics to understand this we need to understand first of all how does a man lust what is jesus warning the men in this room about men lust with their computers and their smartphones men lust with their remote controls and their lounge their recliners um Men lust with their lack of self-control mentally in the workplace. It's, it's everywhere. But let's focus on this, this idea of men lusting with pornography. It is the number one problem that men are facing in their spiritual life right here and now in this time that we live in. And I want to tell you that that pornography and this adulterous lust that's happening with men is all based on nothing but absolute foolish lies. It is ridiculous if we really break down what's happening in these moments. First of all, it's not even a real woman. It's pixels on a screen. That's what pornography is. It's pixels on a screen. It's electronic images. There's no human being really there involved. Number two, the pixels are even lying to us because they've been airbrushed. No human being looks like this. So now we're double lies. We've we got two lies that we're embracing when we're dealing with pornography. It's foolishness. And then number three, if you did have a chance to meet this woman, if she really did exist, she would be the most appalling person you've ever met because she's allowed herself to be published like this. You don't want her, I promise. So this, this lust that we find ourselves tempted with so much in our culture is all built on a, on a foundation of lies and all the structure is lies because none of it, none of it is real. None of it is real. But we must not leave out the women because pornography is not a problem only for men. In fact, the, the stats show that women's viewing of pornography is massively on the increase. Uh, I saw a study, 31% of all women in America are viewing pornography like men do. That's a big number. You might have thought women don't have this problem, but it is growing. But I'm going to tell you, there's a statistic that's not being shown because there is a pornography that's not being acknowledged in the lives of the women in America. And it's called romance novels. <laughs> this is not a sermon just for men. Ladies, this is for you. There is pornography in your midst, and it's called romance Novels. Listen to this. Here's an article from the International Business Times, and I'm quoting a romance novel author. The title of the article: Why do modern women love romance novels? So, what is the appeal to these fantastical stories? The heroines of romance novels are often enjoy the lavish attention of male suitors who cater to their every whim. ...and who often represent a stark contrast to the prototypical emotionally unavailable male. Not only do the men and women in these books connect on a sexual level... ...they become immersed in each other's emotional yearnings. These stories of deep physical and emotional intimacy offer a welcomed retreat from reality. Men, pornography is not reality. It's airbrushed. It's pixels. She's not a real woman. Ladies... These characters in romance novels are not reality. They're a figment of somebody else's perverse imagination. And it crawls inside of you and it owns you and it captivates your heart. And then she goes on. And when we're feeling low, ladies, reading about romance in the pages of a good book can be just the reminder we all need to get out there and keep trying. Love could be well, very well, right around the corner, just down the block, or even in the house next door. Lust, coveting, even next door. And then she says this, the key is for us ladies to keep our hearts open. It's poison. You need to close your heart to the pornography of romance novels. You need to close your heart, men, to the pornography that's on your smartphone or on your desktop. You do not want your heart open to this because if it gets in, it will own you and you will become in bondage like you've never imagined before. I'm going to finish one more. There there is a romance novel series. I'm not even going to name it because I'm scared that you will go look it up. And I don't want you to pursue figuring this thing out, okay? I want you to to stop after I give you this. But there is a series of romance novels out there right now that are extremely pornographic, extremely emotionally pornographic even. And there's a website that goes with this romance novel series. And on the website, they have a, a, a button for you to click to get the wine lists so that you can buy the wine that the characters are drinking in that part of the story that you're reading in the book. And you can sip on this wine while you're reading what they're doing. And they have a soundtrack button as well. And you can get the music that was playing in that scene while you're reading that part of the book. That is toxic. That is wicked. That is perverse. It is poison. And it will kill you dead, ladies. It will kill you. So we we have a tenacious battle with a serious who is aggressively trying to get us to open our hearts to perversity to unreality and i urge you this morning to fight this fight like jesus is going to tell us in a moment and i hope that what i've done is i've just opened everything up and everybody says whoa if i'm not there right now i could be there and i better listen to the rest of this sermon this appeal is strong So there's a call to men and women this morning from Jesus, this isn't Edward talking, from Jesus saying we need to be deadly serious about adultery and lust, and we need to see it for what it really is. There's a call here for men and women to go above and beyond even caring about themselves. And I say that we are all challenged here this morning that we need to even consider the sins of other people. You know what Jesus said on the murder deal? He said, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar and go first be reconciled with your brother, then come back and offer your gift, right? The concern in that passage is for the brother, I said this last Sunday, that is not if you're angry towards your brother, go make right with him. It was if your brother's angry, go make right with him so that he can worship too. So there is a concern in that passage for your brother. And while Jesus does not say it here in this adultery passage, I'm going to tell you that we need to have the same concern for one another on this lust and adultery issue. And here's what it looks like. We need to be concerned for others in how we dress we need to be concerned with others in how we converse even conversing on this thing okay how we talk to the opposite sex outside of our marriage is deadly sometimes on this issue and we need to be concerned about our conduct and how we act with one another Jesus, or Paul rather, says in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit, but consider others more important than yourselves. That's what Jesus says when he says, leave your gift at the altar and go to your brother. He's saying consider him more important than you. Go be right with him before you come off of that gift. And I'm saying this morning that it's not a stretch of the scriptures to urge every one of us to consider others in the way we dress, in the way we talk, in the way we act. live in an age where the average square yardage of boys fashion grows and grows and grows i mean we were at a mall the other day and this kid had pants they were shorts they were down to here they were only up to here by the way but something was covering that part the the fabric on guys clothing is growing exponentially is it not what's happening to our girls clothing What's happening to our 10 year old girls and their dress? It's already square inches and it's shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and it's going thinner and thinner and thinner. The fashion puppets in New York in Paris and all these places are poisoning us and our kids with just the fashion options that you can have now to go dress your children. So the battle starts back there at the store. If we're going to consider those boys, we're going to make sure she's dressed appropriately. If we're going to consider that man at work, we're going to watch what we say with our mouth. And if we're concerned about that woman, we're going to act carefully and cautiously. Ladies, I'll say this because this is the biggest issue. A wise woman knows that it is one thing to make herself attractive And it's an altogether different thing for her to know that she's making herself provocative. Ladies, don't make yourself provocative. There's plenty of men that are struggling. And I want you to consider your brother in the way that you dress, in the way that you talk, in the way that you act. So, there's a call here for us to have concern for one another. There's a call for us to have concern for ourselves. Because there's a real element Jesus is talking hard around this topic. There is a hell. And we're not going to spend time on that in this sermon today, or we're going to go two hours. And I know you're not ready for that. I'm not either, by the way. I get worn out myself. Okay? But there's a real concept, a real place. I don't even want to call it a concept. There is a real place called hell, and it will exist for eternity. And people that are running rampant in adultery and rampant in the lust that is adultery are showing that they are not followers of Jesus Christ and they are setting up for themselves a permanent address in a place called hell. That is what Jesus is saying. This is serious. And I want to show you how serious it is because look at what Jesus says next. Wow. He says this. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. That's graphic. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Graphic language. I mean, if we stop and really weigh those words for what they're really worth right here and today, we just shake our head and go, I don't have a category for that. Imagine these disciples. They've been told their righteousness needs to surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And now if they even look at a woman with lustful intent, they've already committed adultery with her in his heart. And now they're to cut things off and pluck things out and throw them away. And there's this real place called hell. This is a radical message Jesus has given. And I think we read the Sermon on the Mount sometimes in our little pastoral setting with our little music playing in the background, and we don't get the tenacity that Jesus is calling for here. Jesus uses strong language to describe the action of a disciple towards sin in their lives. He is calling you to take tenacious, aggressive action towards sin in your life. That's the message. Sid and We're talking, this is straight, 100% Jesus. Removing a right hand, plucking out a right eye, what's up with that? Well, just think about it. Most people are right-handed and right-eyed. That's your dominant eye and your dominant hand. And Jesus is saying, take your most valuable asset, an eye and a hand. I mean, imagine life without that, and cut it off. He's saying it's better for you to live life severely maimed than to live eternity in hell. Now, Jesus is using figurative language here. Please, no one leave here and think about, you know, I think I better get a letter opener out and screwdriver and start prizing this thing out. And you laugh at that, but there are people in church history that have done this. Origen, theologian in the first century, took this passage in Matthew 19 as well and castrated himself so that he would not be tempted to sexual sin. That is not what Jesus is talking about. That is maiming the body that is to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. That is not what's going on here. Jesus is using graphic language, illustrating how aggressive we should be against sin in our lives. But he's not saying to literally go do that. He's not advocating literal mutilation of the flesh. He's saying to take lust seriously. And you know, we hear about this all throughout Scripture. Let me just give you three verses from Paul. And I'm going to read them to you. You can write them down if you want to look at them later. But three verses to Paul that support this call that Jesus has made to us to wage war on the flesh. Paul says this in Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body... You will live. You hear it? Pluck it out. Cut it off. Throw it away. Kill it. Put to death the deeds of the body. Colossians 3, 5. Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. I hear right there Jesus' words. It's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. The wrath of God is coming. Galatians 5, 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Have you crucified the flesh with its passions and desires? Do you belong to Jesus Christ? If you, the implication here is, if you belong to Jesus Christ... If you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if that is you, if that is you, then you will crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. And if you don't and you allow the flesh and its desires to roll along, you are evidencing perhaps, only God knows, that you have not professed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you are still professing yourself to be Lord and Savior. Pornography is putting yourself on the throne and saying, this is about me. I will be satisfied with this. Forget everybody else. Forget wife, future wife. Forget God. Forget that person in that image. Forget them all. This is all about me. I'm on the throne. It is idolatry, and you're idolizing yourself. That's pornography. That's romance novels, period. Period. And then they're even not even reality. John Owen lived in the 1700s. He was the chaplain to Oliver Cromwell over in Great Britain. Love to tell you his story, but he says this, based on this passage. You be killing sin, our sin will be killing you. Wow. Wow. And I think that's the call from Paul. I think that's the call from Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount. We are to be killing sin. We are be putting to death the deeds of the body. This is war. And eternity is at stake. Eternity is at stake. You be killing sin or sin will be killing you. How are we to apply this instruction to our lives? I mean... Okay, Edward, we're not literally to get a screwdriver and get our eyeballs out of our heads. What does this look like? What are we supposed to do? I I don't need to just do this and now leave and say, y'all go figure it out. Let me help you. And I'm going to really get personal here and show you some, some ways that I've used this verse to attack sin in my life. And by the way, the plucking out of an eye and the cutting off in a hand, this does not only apply to lust and adultery and sexual sin. I have memorized this verse long ago, and I apply it to all kinds of sins in my life. I don't care what your sin problem is, anger, laziness, whatever it is, you need to apply plucking out an eye and cutting off a hand and throwing it away. This is how we fight every sin in our lives. But I want to stay within Jesus's context here. I think tonight, I really want you to come tonight is we're going to unpack what it means to cut off and pluck out and throw away in in really simple ways. I really want you to come tonight so that it can be a, is it a workshop, so that you can know how to use this verse to fight for your Christian life, okay? But here, here we go. Number one, here's how we apply this to our lives right now. You cannot and you will not pluck out and cut off unless you have been crucified with Christ. That's number one. If you've not first been crucified with Christ, you will never get to plucking and cutting. It ain't going to happen. Cuz you don't cherish holiness and righteousness and reconciliation with God because you have not entrusted yourself to his son Jesus Christ, the only way you can be made right with him. So first and foremost, this is a work of the believer. Listen to this, Galatians 2:20. Paul says, "I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. If you don't believe that, Galatians 2.20, write it down. If you don't believe that verse, you're not ready to start cutting and tearing out. You have to do this in the strength of Christ. We're going to see a passage tonight, Romans 8. You're going to do this by the power of the spirit that's within you. You will not do this if you are doing this in your flesh alone. It's impossible. Number two, Job teaches us to plan in advance for times and moments of temptation in our lives. Right? Job 31.1, Job says this, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then shall I gaze on a virgin? You hear that? He's made a covenant with his eyes that we're supposed to tear out, by the way, if they cause us to sin. He has made a covenant, and he is saying, far be it from me to gaze on another woman with lustful intent. Thank you, Job. Thank you, God, for inspiring Job to tell us that. And so Job plans in advance for his moments of temptation by making a covenant with his eyes. Are you planning in advance right now for the temptations that you're going to be dropped right in the middle of this afternoon or next week at work? Are you? Are you planning right now? This is how active and aggressive the Christian faith is to be. We do not walk into something stunned and surprised. We need to always be on our guard. Any man in battle, any, any, in, in World War II, they studied the enemy, they knew the tendencies of the enemy, and they made provisions to resist the enemy. You need to do the same thing in your spiritual life. And I would say it's even more important because eternity is in the balance. So are you planning in advance? Have you made some covenants? Yes, with God first. That's why the first point is you need to be crucified in Christ. Have you made a covenant with God that you're going to honor him with your eyes and your thoughts and your heart and your body? And then secondly, you need to say, I am going to make a covenant with myself, with my eyes. I am not going there, period, in the strength of Christ. Number three, this is where Christian accountability can play a huge role in our pursuit of righteousness, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He wants to get you alone in isolation. He wants you to think you are independent, and there he will devour you with your eyes and your hands and pixels in pages in a novel, and websites with wine lists and music selections. And guess what? We read books alone. We look on the internet alone. And then our thoughts when we're driving down the road of all that we've seen, we're doing that alone. And so I'm telling you, you've got to get out of the isolation. You've got to bring people into your life. And you need to confess your sins to one another. We don't like the sound of that, but James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We've got to bring other people into our lives and we've got to divulge our sinfulness to other people. That's why he's created a thing called the church. We don't go to the world and tell the world what we're struggling with. We go to our church, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and say, hey, come here. I need you to see what's going on in here. I got a problem. I've got a library full of books that have got to go. I've got a library full of videos that have got to go. Will you pick them up and throw them in the dumpster for me? cutting off a hand we'll look at that in a moment so we've got to be aggressive and that includes meaning we've got to be willing to be vulnerable and bring people into our lives so here's here's a real briefly five practical ways that we can tear out an eye and cut off a hand on this issue okay first of all let's go attack the issue of internet facebook and twitter accountability okay and here's what i do with this verse Jesus tells us to cut out and cut off. If your Wi-Fi causes you to sin, turn it off and cancel your service. For it is better that you lose your internet service than your whole body be thrown into hell. Practical application of scripture. But wait a minute, Edward. This is 2013. We've got to be connected. I I, I can't turn this off. Bull. Bull you can't afford to not turn this off if you are being defeated by this every day you i don't care what work says i don't care what your friends say i don't care that the enemy says yeah but your kids can't get a hold of you. i don't care you turn this off and you throw it away it's better that you lose your iphone than your whole body go into hell you don't need this you can get a simple texting phone okay we, we we don't have to have the ultimate technology if the ultimate technology is going to drag us into hell this is a short life this is a very short life and eternity is a long long time number 2 temptation in the workplace if your place of work causes you to sin turn in your notice and resign your position For it is better that you lose your employment than your whole body be thrown into hell. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute, Edward. I got babies under the roof. I got a wife to provide for. I don't care. My very best friend from years ago fell in the workplace and abandoned his family. The very family that he would have said, I can't quit my job. I got to provide for my family. He continued to go to that job. He continued to meet that temptress. And he fell with her and he blew his family up. So I'm telling you, if there is a temptation at the workplace for a man or a woman in this room, it is worth resigning your job and going and working somewhere else so that your whole body will live in eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven. That's how aggressive we've got to be. Hotel TVs, whoa, I've done a lot of business travel in my day. If your hotel TV causes you to sin, remove the cables and give them to the front desk. For it is better that you lose your sports center than your whole body be thrown into hell. Take the cables out and go to the front desk and say, Here, you can stick them back in the room when I check out. I know men that have done that. Do it. Do not let that be there if you in your privacy and your isolation are going to get devoured by the adversary. Personal library. If your library causes you to sin, clear your shelves and throw your movies and novels away. For it is better that you lose your entertainment than your whole body be thrown into hell. We all need to go audit our video collections right now in our our book collections, on our shelves? Are you willing to be that aggressive to pursue holiness in the name of Jesus Christ? Here's the last one. Pride and accountability, because none of us wants to bring this James 5 concept into our lives and confess our sins to one another, right? Okay, well, if your independence and isolation causes you to sin, surrender your pride and seek accountability, for it is better for you to lose your reputation than your whole body be thrown into hell. Give up your reputation with your friends and say, I need you to know who I really am. And guess what? They're going to say, oh, yeah, well, I need you to know who I really am, too. And now we're together. And now we're fighting. And you get two or three cords together, and they're a lot stronger than one, right? That's the church. So I urge you to go to people and say, get in my life on this issue. I do not want my body to be thrown into hell. I want to sever things from me. Wide open invitation, you come to me. I've got this, I've got an office, you come to me and I will meet with you and I will load you up with scripture that will enable you to fight this good, good fight. Or go to one of your brothers and sisters in this room, there's plenty of warriors that will stand beside you in this room and who have either been victorious in the issue that you're struggling with or they're currently struggling with it and together maybe you can conquer it in the name of Christ. So, I would say this, and it's in the, in the bulletin this morning. This verse must be memorized. Right eye, right hand, cut it off, throw it away. Better to lose it than to go into hell. Memorize that verse and use it to wage war on the sins that you are tempted with habitually in your life. This is why we memorize scripture. And I dare say, if there's ever one you need to memorize, it's this one. Do it. Please And it flows so easy. You can have this thing memorized by tonight if you give yourself to it today because it flows easy. It's not that many words when you think about it. The phrases are so much similar. And so that's how you're going to wage war and fight this fight. You're going to do it with the word of God, not the logic of man. Not the logic of man. So here's my conclusion. (sighs) There is a... (laughs) <laughs> there is a huge elephant in the room this morning. And I don't want us to look around the elephant and say, I don't see that elephant. Yeah, hey, hello, Art, Okay, and Jennifer. I, there, there's, there's an elephant over there, but I'm going to focus on you. There is a huge elephant in this room, and it is this. We have learned in recent weeks that we are all murderers not a person in this room that according to Jesus's words is not a murderer if you have had anger in your heart towards a brother, if you've insulted your brother, if you've said you fool, you are liable to the hell of fire is what Jesus said. So together here this morning we are murderous people and now today I've revealed, That if we look on another with lustful intent, we have already committed adultery in our hearts. And so we all are adulterers in this room, at least by the mental lustful actions of our minds and our hearts. So there's an elephant in the room and it's we are all sinful, murderous adulterers. That's a hard message to come. I've I've had to pray a lot this week to even climb these steps to come give you this message. And I want to say this message is harder for me than for you because you only have to hear it. You don't have to say it. Because I'm hearing this while I'm saying this. I heard this all week and I understand that I am a murderous adulterer if left to myself. It's a hard message. And what are we to do with this truth? Because this is a bummer sermon. If that's what we're going to do is leave here and say, Oh, I'm a murderer and adulterer. Let's go have lunch. Can't be that. What are we going to do with this? Oh. Well, now's the time to go clutch to the Beatitudes and draw them in close. Because Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So when we're struck with this reality that we're murderous adulterers, we need to be poor in spirit. We need to say, Lord, I am bankrupt. I am that, I am a murderous adulterer, and there is nothing inside of me that can make me right. Would you please give me the kingdom of heaven? And he says, yes, I will do it through my son, Jesus Christ. And we should say to ourselves, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Father, I am mourning over my adulterous, murderous heart. It kills me that this is true about me. I am sorry to you for this, Lord. Will you forgive me? And he says, yes, for they shall be comforted only through Jesus Christ. And then we should say, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Are we meek or are we saying, that's not adultery, that's not murder, it's the physical act that God is about, don't talk to me about my heart. And and, and by the way, what I feel towards other people is just, that is not meekness. That is not meekness, that is pride and arrogance and stiff-neckedness. That's a horse that will not respond to the reins being tugged by the Holy Spirit. We are to be meek. We are to say, Lord, your will be done in my life. Cleanse me of this. And then the last one. We're not going to go through all eight, but the last one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Father, I am a murderer. Yes, in my heart, if, if at all. And I am an adulterer. Yes, in my heart, if at all. And I hunger and thirst to be made right with you, And I hunger and thirst to be free from this bondage to these sins that I've experienced. And he says, if you truly hunger and thirst for that, you will be satisfied. So I've just established the truth that we're all adulterers, we're all murderers, and none of us are innocent in these matters. And what are we to do ultimately with this bone-jarring revelation? Clutch these four beatitudes and then listen to this. 1 John 1, 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now listen to this. All that's important, and all that sets up for this, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's the only way that we deal with a message that says, from Jesus, not from me, you are a murderer. You are an adulterer. Let's confess and say, I agree with you, Father. I agree. That is true of me. And I confess that. And in the name of your Son, whose blood was shed for me to be a suitable substitutionary sacrifice for me, I ask now that you would forgive me from all of this unrighteousness and lead me on the path everlasting. And you know what God says? I will do that. Do you know him this morning? You've been told you're a murderer and adulterer. Your solution is Jesus Christ. Do you know him this morning? Have you embraced him as a substitute for you for your sins on the cross? I pray that you have. And if you have any questions about this Jesus connection and dealing with this sin... I'm your guy. Come see me. I would love to spend some time with you unpacking what all that means. So the final word is this. You be killing sin. Or sin will be killing.